Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 199 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing Aspen Ladd's UFC release, the backup plan for UFC 280, Henry Cejudo's comeback plans, and we'll be previewing select fights from UFC Vegas 62. But first, we are finally seeing the fruits of the Zuckerberg UFC blackout. And it is in the form of a VR metaverse partnership with the UFC for Fight Pass. And we get to see the very first of that with tonight's LFA Fight Pass card. We'll see the very first VR metaverse viewing opportunity. So, Victor, what are we to think of that? Are you are you getting ready to channel those infamous words that the great Nate Diaz has said in the past? I'm not even sure what words you're referring to. I'm not to. surprised, motherfuckers. <clears throat> oh, okay. Well, yeah, as far as that goes. Yeah, now it makes sense. You see, this is another another cool, fun one because it's like, okay, so maybe Zuckerberg didn't have to pay for the event to be closed off. Maybe they just did that as a treat. They offered it to him. I don't know. I, I, I don't even care as far as that goes. VR MMA. Who asked for this? Right. How is this going to enhance my ability to enjoy anything and getting a $400 headset? You're not supposed to wear that thing for more than like an hour. Right. And you're going to sit through a seven-hour show? Like LFA shows are mercifully far shorter than that. Let's say three hours at most. But are we really doing right, – okay. You know what? Listen. You know what they say about fools and their money, so whatever, man. I ain't even mad at that. Not, not only that. Can you imagine a stream – through a head through a vr headset no no you gotta be kidding me right i mean look it's cool i was talking to a friend of mine earlier about this and it was like okay if you're talking about educational stuff you know mapping travel for educational purposes there's a lot of great use for vr right but even porn in vr looks annoying why the hell would i want to watch a fighting event like that that just doesn't even no 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 terrible idea to me at least Uh, i don't know what the user base for this is going to be, but if Facebook is going to be throwing a bunch of money around like that and you got somebody willing to catch it, sure, whatever. Right. And the the thing that bothers me the most about this whole thing, though, is more about the blackout itself. This could have taken place behind closed doors, no problem. But they chose to do this First of all, they chose to do it two days before the event. So all the people, all the media members that arranged tickets, et cetera, to go to this event were kind of screwed. And when I spoke with Aaron Bronstetter this week, that was one of his bones to pick with MMA journalism as a whole is that nobody bothered to call it out. Nobody asked about it. Nobody said a word about it, mm-hmm. about all of these outlets, some of them that paid for plane tickets, hotel tickets, etc. excuse me, reservations. I'm sure that they uh, set it up or that they could get refunds, but that's a whole process that everybody had to go through. All the people that had made arrangements had to go through. And not only that, 
how much is Mark Zuckerberg throwing at the UFC that the fighters will likely never see a penny of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask, you know, if, if there was going to be any, um, uh, any sort of additional costs, you know, is this going to be another thing where it's like you tack another $10 on a pay-per-view to watch? And I'm like, how does this go exactly? Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and they're unrolling it for fight pass. So it makes me wonder if they're going to jack up the price of fight pass again. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be that, or it could be a, uh, what do you call it? Um, it could be like, this is the, the sort of trial balloon type thing, you know? I mean, they didn't say that this was obviously they're starting with LFA for a reason, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Indeed. Obviously, they're starting with bypass for a reason. Makes me wonder if at some point down the road, they might not try to make inroads with ESPN and maybe parse some of that over to ESPN or even Disney. It Mm. seems like Disney would be ideal for metaverse viewing for all of their cartoons and their live action shows. Things like that seem like they might be a better fit for VR, but Personally, I don't even think VR is at a point where where it's ready for streaming viewing at all. No, I, I don't think I don't think any of that stuff is ready yet. In any event, we are going to move on with our next news story, and it has to do with Aspen Lad. Now, if you remember back at UFC Vegas sixty. Her fight with Sarah McMahon had to be canceled because she could not make weight. Uh, the The last time she weighed in, it was 138 pounds, which is two pounds over the bantam weight limit. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, but the bantam weight limit is 135. But remember, in non-title situations, you are allowed one pound. Now, the fight, as I mentioned, was subsequently scrapped. Lad was released from the UFC roster, and then she signed with PFL. We will be seeing her take on Julia Budd next month in her very first PFL match. Now, Dana White had this to say about Aspen Lad regarding the release. He said, it's never fun when you have someone who's actually talented. She's a talented fighter, but part of the job is making the weight. She's not made weight so many times it had to happen. Not something you want to do, but something that had to be done. Aspen went on Ariel Hawani's show. Her explanation seems a little different. She said that there were no options for her because everybody kept saying, why don't you just move up to featherweight? So this is what she had to say. It was pretty much 135 or nothing. I clearly cannot make the weight at 135, at least not consistently without dying. And I need to make the move up. And they don't have an opportunity at 145. They have the weight class, but honestly, if you're a 145er in the UFC, I would recommend if you could go down, do it. If not, look at your options. So it was time to look at mine. It was kind of both parties knew that this was the last straw. Because if you're only given the singular option and I physically cannot do it after this last cut, I'm not going to try again. And then when you're told that it's not there, it's like, okay, we need to go figure out something else. And and she did. She went to PFL and, you know, now she's going to take on former Bellator champion Julia Budd. That's going to happen on November 25th in New York City. And I agree with Dana. She is talented. I mean, she's got a lot of work to do, but she has, she she's physically talented. She is. 
I'm sorry that she couldn't make the weight. I don't want to throw insult to injury on her because I think that she's getting dragged enough already. But this is a good move for her to the PFL because there is a division that's built for her with 145. And there's an opportunity for her to make a lot of money if she gets to fight Kayla Harrison. And then she won't even have to cut to 145 because Kayla typically fights at 155. It's a great move for her, but it's very telling that the UFC told her 135 or nothing. And it makes me wonder if once Amanda is finally done, if they're just going to shutter the whole division. Now, I know there are a few girls there, but it doesn't seem like they're actively trying to fill the division. It seems more like uh, there's a person here or there, but the the boxer, uh, Wolf, she had a terrible debut and was just owned from pillar to post. There's not a whole lot of other prospects out there for 145 that already haven't been tried and moved on to Bellator. And most of those were 135ers that were puffed up. Let's see. Norma Dumont looks like she could actually stay at 145 and do well, but you can't build a division based on Norma Dumont. So I think that maybe all of the girls... The, the remaining handful that is actually sitting there at featherweight might be getting the same story that Aspen Ladd is that, hey, it's time to start moving down because once Amanda's done, this division is no more. Victor, what do you think about all this? I, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, here's the thing. Obviously, the, the move with featherweight is there is no move. There is no division. They're not trying to add anybody. And the worst part is it's one thing for you to not to sign any more talent to join in. But it's another thing entirely to not allow for that to come from within anymore. That is the part that really stuck out to me the most. Like, damn, really? That's how it is, huh? And if they knew that she wasn't able to make weight consistently at 135, why wouldn't you want to have a fresh matchup? I mean, I don't know. It didn't seem like... It, it didn't seem like she's costing the UFC a lot of money, but hey, look, if she's got the versatility of going elsewhere and making that work, I guess I guess that's fine. It worked out for her. It's still unfortunate because it doesn't have to be this way. It did not have to occur in this fashion. Uh, Amanda was probably tied up doing the uh, back-to-back fights with Juliana Pena, uh, among other things. So maybe it just didn't seem like the kind of... Um, a fight that would be appealing, right? Somebody who's had trouble making weight at 135 just gives up and moves up. I mean, maybe that's the sort of perspective, but clearly it's a matter of like, look, we don't have anybody for Amanda to fight at featherweight. So like she can keep the belt and the prestige, but we all know what's really going on here. And it doesn't make any of this, um, doesn't make any of this any better in terms of how that went. But again, it's good that this is happening now in a way, or rather it's preferable to how things could have gone six or seven years ago because then what would she have done where would she go you know she wouldn't she wouldn't have any place to land you know now she can at least go to pfl and make a decent chunk of change although she is gambling on herself to win three four fights in a year in order to get that million dollar prize so i'm i'm curious as to how that is i'm hoping to i wish we could find out a little more as to um how distinct this deal is from her ufc one as to as far as relates to her her actual purse uh, any bonuses or whatever? Is this treating her better than what her UFC deal was? Because she is kind of a big deal. She just hasn't really had much of an opportunity to show it because her lately her career has been marred by missing weight and having some 
pretty iffish performances and, and that, you know, starting with the loss of the Rondami, which was like crushing. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, it's not really fun. I'm glad that also she's able to have an opportunity to express herself and put that out there because this is what you got to do. You got to get ahead of the news. You got to get ahead of the official channels and put your story out there in order for this to happen. I doubt there's going to be much pressure from anybody. And there's nothing you can really do as media to the UFC regarding this, right? There's nothing you can really do to get more information. They don't have to answer any questions on this. They're already done. This business is dusted. It's over. So, um, yeah, I, I guess this is I'm just trying to make the best out of a really, really shitty situation. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And her first fight with Julia Budd, you know, that's a good fight for her. And it's a it's a stiff test because Julia Budd is no ham and egger. That's true. I mean, you're facing a, a much more seasoned and experienced fighter who is also a really, really sturdy athlete. And um, she's crazy strong. She's got a great team up at Gibson's. Um, I, yeah, I, it, it's it's unfortunate that things didn't work out for her to stick around in, in Bellator, but that's PFL's game now. And now you get a nice thing, a nice little fight to season the pot for their uh, final event in uh, for the year for PFL. So, hey, that's that's good business for everybody. And a, a win here for Lad would be a tremendous statement. Indeed. Yeah, well, we're actually going to pivot from one statement to another, a rather conflicting series of statements. And boy, howdy, wait till you hear this one. If you haven't heard it already, right? So we got UFC 280 happening from Abu Dhabi, because we all know blood money reigns supreme, baby. And we already got people making their way over to the kingdom in order to make their uh, much anticipated appearances. It's a hell of a card, big stars, big names, great fights. But here's the funny part, okay? So Benil Dariush, longtime lightweight, and... Um, Something of a fan favorite. I, one of one of the um, one of the people's faves, right? If you're if you're a much more dedicated fan, chances are you like Dariush and some of the things that he's done in the past. Problem is that he is a little confused as to what the situation is because the title fight between Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira is going to need a backup, or they've you know at least the UFC told him they need a backup, and they told him specifically that he Benil Dariush himself is going to be the backup. Well, somebody's got a bit of an objection to that, and he raised his hand from way down under, and that's <laughs> Alexander Volkanovsky. Yes, featherweight champion himself has said that he is, in fact, the person who's there as the backup and not anybody else. In fact, he pulled out as a bit of one-upsmanship. He pulled out a very important piece of information. He said, hey, I'm already getting paid, and on top of that, my corners, they're already on their way to Abu Dhabi. So... Kind of a done deal. They're not inviting me out there if I'm not invited to the party, right? They got to let me in for if anything goes south. So that leaves us in a bit of an odd situation because now Darius was under the impression after putting all his business out in front of God and country that he was going to be the guy to get the call in case anything should not go well in terms of this fight, which I hope just for all matters of clarification that it does continue and that things don't require a backup, although either option would be pretty fun to me. Uh but now I, I'm not really sure what Darius does in this situation. He can't complain too much, right? I mean, it's like Royal Fam said in that Wu-Tang Classic, it ain't final till it's vinyl, okay? Unless you get this on paper, signed, sealed, and delivered, you don't really have much. If you're going by word of mouth, how long ago was he told? Who was his manager? What did this person tell Darius as far as his situation? How long ago was the last time he heard from his manager or the UFC about his particular spot in this triangle and that is now turned into a goddamn rhombus? I don't like any of this sort of thing. I mean, look, we're used to having miscommunications 
between management and fighters in all organizations, right? It's just a little more egregious when it happens at the UFC because of the veneer of professionalism and their ability to control messaging and the narrative and the news cycle. But I'm just curious here, did Darius just not get the memo? How many hands had to fumble this for him to be out in the wilderness? Because if Alex is getting paid, chances are maybe he's the one who's right. Or unless, barring some other situation in which both of them are going to be considered as backups, because we should also remember Darius is already booked. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's not like it's not like Volkanovski was doing anything else. Not like he had anybody else lined up for another title defense just yet. Makes perfect sense to insert him as well. Neither one of these options are a bad choice. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are here in terms of a how the UFC handled the. Uh, this whole deal, but any sort of speculation on your behalf as to how this might have happened. B, does Volkanovsky have him dead to rights on the argument that he made? And C, where do you think Dariush might have gone wrong or what has he gotten wrong with this? First of all, I think the problem starts with Dariush's manager, who is Ali Abdelaziz. And oh, Ali well. is notorious for feeding <clears throat> bullshit to his fighters and that bullshit not actually panning out. And probably what happened here is that Ali told him, don't worry, don't worry, we're going to make sure that you're the backup. You know, these fighters aren't having direct conversations with Dana White or with Sean Shelby. Their management is. So it's not a case probably. I'm, I'm, I'm using probably quite a bit here because I can't say for certain. I'm not behind the scenes. This is me speculating. I'm firing up Victor Speculatron. <laughs> so what I think probably happened is that Ali made a promise that he did not keep. I'm not saying that Ali did not speak to the UFC about any of this. I'm saying that whatever panned out from it Obviously, the UFC went with the more fiery option, the option that makes more sense, in my opinion. If you really want to drum up something and keep this pay-per-view with people buying it, you need to put a name in there. And Volkanovsky being not only the featherweight champion, but the pound-for-pound guy, he sits at the top of the list now. That is the guy that you want to stick in there as your backup. It makes a lot of sense. It makes sure that pay-per-view sales remain true if it happens before the day of. I, I just think that Darius need to look specifically at his management and find out where the communication breakdown went. As far as how the UFC handled it, I think they handled it just fine because the UFC never came out and said that Darius was the backup. Only Darius did. Yeah, there was never anything official. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, you know, Volkanovsky's <clears throat> right in everything that he's saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it would be nice. It would be nice if you had a manager that looked out more for you than the company that is, for um, sure. you know, it, it, it would just be an okay thing, I suppose. But I guess we'll never know. I think <laughs> also another, I think another key point in this whole situation is something that you mentioned Darius is already booked yeah that's the big one although it would be it is unfortunate that he didn't get to find out because now it's it's kind of at least maybe i'm the only one thinking about it but it's embarrassing it is embarrassing it is. but Just, he needs yeah. to look at his management he really does because i think it all stems from ali it's yeah, not it, the, yeah. it wouldn't be the first time either 
No. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, this is there's no real solution to any of this. There's nothing that the fighters mm-hmm. can do about it. You know, there's nothing Darius really can have done other than just focus on the fight that he trained for. And- yeah. And even if the UFC had said, Darius, you are the one, like you said, like you very astutely pointed out, it was never put in writing. So if you really want to count on something the UFC might have said or that your manager is saying, get it in writing. That's yep. the bottom line. Yep. Now, we are going to move on to some news that actually came out last week. But since we missed Monday's show, what I wanted to do, and and we missed Monday's show because uh, unforeseen circumstances, Miami loved Victor so much that they wanted to keep him there. So it was the latest <laughs> flight, and we decided that we would air uh, another show in place so Victor could get a little rest because he was stranded for quite some time because yeah. Miami was not ready to let Party and Victor go. I did go over and check out your Instagram. I loved all the pink paint. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I, I, after years of trashing Florida and Miami in particular, man, I had a great time. I can't wait to go back. That was amazing. It it, it really was. And yeah, I I did upload a bunch of photos, not too many food photos. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't need too many different things out there, but uh, yeah, I I was cool with it. Um, Just top to bottom and a big shout out and thank you to uh, my my new friends now, Brian and Erica, my my hosts for the uh, weekend for being super kind and and opening their doors to me. And uh, of course, you know, my main is man, Dio, you know, it uh, it was cool to hang out with him again and just have that experience. So uh, Miami Carnival, not for everybody, but if it's for you, holy shit, it is very much for you. It is a lot of fun. All right. So that is why we missed on Monday and we missed this story, but I feel like it's an important story and we're just going to barely brush up on it. But Frankie Edgar has booked his, and I'm using this in quotes, expected retirement bout versus Chris Gutierrez. It's going to happen at UFC 281. And let me just read from MMA Fighting's article that will sum everything up in a nutshell. So MMA Fighting confirmed that the bantamweight matchup after an initial report from ESPN came out and it quoted Edgar's confirmation of his final octagon walk. So we are getting confirmation that this will be his last UFC fight. But as far as retirement fight, who knows? Because Edgar hasn't made a comment about this other than to confirm that this will be his last UFC fight. So UFC 281 takes place on November 12th at Madison Square Garden, where Frankie has fought twice before. And this will be his 30th UFC fight. He, uh, let's see here, his most recent appearance was a meeting with Marlon Vera that ended in a vicious front kick knockout that we all remember very, very well. Um, Frankie got his start in MMA as a fighter on the New York underground scene before going across the Hudson River to rack up experience on the regional MMA circuit. And he made his UFC debut as a lightweight way back in UFC 67. And he survived a brutal last minute knee bar from Tyson Griffin and won the decision. And from there, it was just nowhere but up for him. So here we are with Frankie Edgar at 135 pounds now, and he's had three fights there. He's gone one and two, and here's Chris Gutierrez. 
And Chris Gutierrez is no walk in the park. And he recently did a highlight reel stoppage of Baccarel Dana. And that dude is tough as nails too. So I am looking at this and I will probably watch this through my hands because I feel like they gave as soft a touch as they could. But I mean, everybody in the UFC is probably a notch above all the rest of the organizations, save for a handful of guys, your Patricio Pitbulls, your AJ McKees, people like that, that could easily transition right straight into the UFC and be top five right off the bat. There are very few of those out there. So when you're in the UFC, at the, even at the bottom rung, you're a notch above everybody else. That's just how I look at it. But this guy is, he's not entry level anymore. He's already taking out established veterans. And here he's probably going to take out one of the most established veterans in the entire sport. And it's going to suck to watch, but it's about as low on the rung as they could give Frankie Edgar on his last fight. And it's still going to be incredibly dangerous for him. Yeah. I mean, so anytime that you have an icon, a legend like Frankie Edgar, have his star be somewhat diminished by really, really cruel and uh, unnecessary losses, taking some fights that he shouldn't, you know, the, 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 the whole song and dance as to whether or not he was going to go up or go down and wait and all that. Um, I, I, anytime you have something like that, it's always going to be rough because you're going to have to keep fighting some of these hungrier, younger dudes that are able to outpace you. And moving down to 135 didn't really, or you know, moving down to 145 didn't do him any favors in terms of his style. So, you know, it just what happens sometimes when when you're the smallest, fastest guy who can pack a punch. And suddenly you're a little older and, you know, strength is the last thing to go. But now your mobility is somewhat compromised and you're taking a bunch of shots to the head and, you know, your fighting style is kind of figured out. That ain't good. And I don't uh, to a degree, this is a bit of a soft touch and, and not it's not the cruelest. It's not the worst matchup possible. It's certainly not Diaz Chimaya, right? No, no, it's not. I mean, they're they're clearly doing something of uh, they're having some consideration and offering him extending some form of grace to him, giving him a fight that, yeah, I mean, on paper, it's winnable because he's got the experience edge and his, his particular skill set. But we all know we all know that Edgar has not been that guy in quite some time. And I I, feel, I can't help but feel bad, you know? Like, I, I want to see him at least go out there and have a good showing. I don't want to see him go out there and get embarrassed. Whether he wins or he loses, I want him to do well. I want him to look good because that's ultimately the last thing and the only thing that truly matters at this point. There's no belt on the line. You know, I I, I don't know what kind of bonus structure his contract has or whatever. That's, that's, that's immaterial right now to me and when it comes to the concern, the greater priority that is his health. And his long-term you know, future plans. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't even I don't even want to pick that. I just I feel so so bad that it's come to this point that he's had to survive so much and, and deal with so much damage. But this is what we have. He's accepted it. He's good with it. And and um, you know, stylistically, it seems like it might be a fun fight. So I'm not even mad at that. That seems okay. Two two things to touch on before I pass it back over to you for the next story. UFC 281 
is a banger of a card. This is the Adesanya Pereira card, and it is just packed with really good fights. So I'm looking forward to to the card as a whole. But the one thing that you touched on that that's saying to me is strength is the last thing to go. And that is so true. It's why you get all these old guys that still pack those one hitter quitters. But you know what the first thing to go is? And it's the, the most visible thing about Frankie's decline is his reflexes. Like he doesn't see those front snap kicks coming anymore. That's why he's getting caught all the time now. He doesn't see those counters coming over his shoulder either. Right? It is so sad. So I'm really hoping he has a good showing, win or lose. Like you say, I don't want to see him embarrassed either. But this is this is kind of the softest touch the the UFC could give him to justify his check. Because while none of them are paid right, Frankie is paid a little more right than most. Yeah. Yeah, that's that is very true. So let's just hope that this last one is really uh, worth it in this case, as as close to being worth it as possible. Now, we're going to remain in the uh, atmosphere of smaller fighters that uh, still are in the late stages of their career and can pack a punch. We're going to be discussing somebody who's been really lobbing shots over to the UFC for quite some time. And that is none other than Bellator's own Patricio Pitbull, a mainstay of the organization a legend in his own right, who was asked recently about the recent retirement of Jose Aldo and what is next in his career. Now, Pitbull has been dying to fight anybody in the UFC, but there's never been any sort of co-promotion effort made. Uh, He seems to have been treated and continues to be treated rather well by Bellator in in most respects. Um, He seems to be getting paid well. Uh, He's had his his disputes with the company and how certain things have been managed, and he's been very uh, vocal about that. But uh, no, this this is this is more a matter of trying to see where things land because we all saw Aldo's uh, last fight. We were all actually uh, somewhat relieved when he announced his retirement. Uh, even those of us who would have maybe wanted to see him get one last show in in in, uh, in Rio. But listen, thing is done. It's over. He's called his retirement, so he's gone at least for now. So they asked Pitbull about this, and he had this to say, quote, I'm sure he's headed to boxing. That's obvious to me. He likes that sport a lot. He's been training with the Navy a lot. It seems like he has some beef with Popo Freitas. I don't know. Let's see what happens. There's room for everyone. He does his job. I do mine. Then if it happens, it happens. I've been training boxing with the Brazilian national team for 12 years now. I like boxing, too. It's one of the arts that we use in MMA that I like to practice the most. I'm open to face, you know, fight Aldo. Any fight, a marbles game, I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's nice to see that he went with that and not around a street fighter because I don't know about you, but it seems to me like maybe, just maybe, Aldo might be pretty nice with using guile. You know, if you know, you know. But um, I I guess this is possible, right? I mean, Bellator has had exemptions and allowed for certain things to materialize. They've been able to have uh, certain fighters do things. And we've seen to some level, some of these things happen with the UFC where fighters are able to have grappling competitions, even though they're under contract. However, what the UFC doesn't allow is for contact that 
you know, would lead to head damage or would compromise their investment in the fighters. So you're not going to see a UFC fighter take up a kickboxing match or a boxing match, anything like that. Bellator would do something a little differently here with that. They are more than happy to let some of these guys experiment and do different things, especially since that does have a tendency to attract eyeballs. And you're talking about a guy who they have to be very nice to and have to at least listen to because Pitbull, I mean, he's one of the main dudes. He's one of the most fascinating, exciting, talented, and best fighters that they've ever had. So I don't doubt that there is a possibility with Aldo being outside of the UFC that maybe there's some sort of a boxing match made between the two, whether it's Aldo's first boxing match or not. And listen, I want to be very clear with this one caveat, all right? It's pretty big. No one has had anything definitive about Aldo going to boxing. This is all purely speculation right now, but it is, as Pitbull said, very healthy speculation here because it seems very clear that he wants to give it a shot or at least try some sort of exhibition thing. Not that it would be the worst idea necessarily because Aldo can still crack and he doesn't have to worry about being taken down or being leg kicked or anything like that. His hands have been more than capable. He is up there and unfortunately we're seeing a lot of money being made by MMA guys getting into boxing even though we are still – living in an era where the MMA online echo chamber still flaunts the idea that boxing is dead and MMA has reigned supreme tap dancing on that grave like Gregory fucking Hines. Uh, I, I, I don't... <laughs> should I have gone with Savion Glover? No, oh, let's leave that like, joke there. I like the, the Gregory yeah. Hines reference. Yeah, it, because, it doesn't make me feel quite so old when a young person like you mentions him. Ah, uh, see, that's the trick. Joke's on you. I'm not that young. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's good that we're old like this. Uh, but, you know, getting back to this whole deal, look, it is entirely possible. I don't know how likely necessarily it is, but there seems to be a very, very, very close to non-zero chance that this is something that we might see in the future. If it were to happen, would you be down for it? Are you excited for the possibility of it happening? And would this happen independently through some other third party or would this perhaps be done under the Bellator banner? I like the idea. I don't mind it at all. Jose Aldo might have a ton of years in the sport, but he's still fairly young. And over the last few years, he spread his fights out fairly Fairly sparsely. I won't say that they're, you know, one fight a year or anything like that, but I believe he fights two times a year, every once in a while, three times. But he spread his career out enough where that I feel that there's enough time elapsed in between his fights where he's probably in a lot better shape at this stage in his career than most guys. We were just talking about Frankie Edgar there. He's in a much better situation than Frankie Edgar. If Frankie Edgar talked about going to boxing, I would be sobbing right now. <laughs> but Jose Aldo, no, nah, I think that's that's ideal. And if it were with a Patricio Pitbull, I would love it even more. I love that idea. I don't know that he's gonna go over to Bellator. If Bellator is willing to shell out a ton of money, I would love to see it because I just want to see a fight with him and Patricio anyway I can. And plus Bellator, let's face it, it's the place where UFC retirees go. But this would be one along the lines of, say, a Gegard Mousasi. That style move. It's not the style of move where, you know, you get your Frank Mir over there, your Chelsea and your Tito Ortiz. It's not one of those moves at all. 
So I don't mind it. I wouldn't, uh, definitely wouldn't turn, turn away from any kind of, uh, situation where I could see Patricio and, and Jose Aldo go at it. We'll just say that. I I was kind of entertaining the idea of the possibility for like three seconds. Like what if they do it in Ryzen? But it's like oh. two Brazilians, even though Pitbull is a known entity over there because he's already fought there before. I don't know that that's really something that would resonate with the kind of fan base they're trying to attract. Mm. Although they have announced, Saki Guevara has announced that they are trying to make more inroads into um, the American market. That's why there have been rumblings of a Nate Diaz uh, invitation, especially against Floyd Mayweather. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Um, in that case, there might be some mm. uh, possibility for that. But it, it doesn't seem like as sure a thing as it would be. Like Bellator's already got Pitbull in-house. All it's going to take, look, look, you could probably sign Aldo to a one-off for a boxing match and only a boxing match. It seems like something they can do. Mm-hmm. But then what happens? Is this, is this going to be on pay-per-view? Is he going to have some sort of an exorbitant fee? How does this go? Um, and once you get that genie out the bottle, you ain't shoving him back in because other fighters are going to want to box too if they see that this is going to make them more money. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't I don't really know. But just to put in my, my – my, the questions that I had posited to you um, – I think it might happen. Uh, I'd actually be very hyped if it did. Uh, but again, it, it contingent on neither one of them looking bad, you know, <laughs> and especially although because, you know, he's he's not exactly washed. But mm, yeah, I, I'd imagine that he wouldn't have to be cutting down to 135 either. So he should hopefully look a little more spry. And, you know, look, as long as he have fun and get paid, good for them. All right. So our last story before we jump into our UFC breakdown is Henry Cejudo is aiming for a comeback. Now, if you remember, earlier in the beginning of this year, he had announced that he was going to come back and that he was joining the uh, USADA anti-doping pool. So he did that. But now we finally have a target. And his target is the winner of the bantamweight title fight that's happening next weekend between Aljamain Sterling and TJ Dillashaw. He at first wanted it to be Aljamain Sterling, but now he wants it to be TJ Dillashaw that wins because he feels like he has a bigger storyline with TJ Dillashaw. From there, he wants to, and I quote, beat the brakes off of him (laughs) and then move on up to featherweight And then he wants to take on, and I quote, Alexander Average Volkanovsky. Jeez. (laughs) And you know what? When Henry was with us in the UFC actively, he annoyed the absolute shit out of me. I just could not stand him. But since he's been gone, I have missed him. And I don't know why. And I think it's because he's he's actually a very good fighter. And there's no two ways around that. And I would like to see some potential matchups for him at 135. I don't think I want to see him at 125. I think that cut is well and truly gone for him. But I wouldn't mind seeing him against some guys at 135 because he did not clean out that division. I don't think I want to see him up at 145, but he is looking kind of chunky. So maybe he's going to have a hard time making 135 too. Who knows? But I'm down for him to come back and he is still prime. I mean, I I guess. <laughs> I don't, you know, my problem here is this, right? If you were to come back, I don't want to see him come back at 125. As you mentioned, he is not 
walking around with the same frame that he did before. But I would imagine that he is as um, as smart as he is and as consistent as he eventually got when he joined the UFC. He did have trouble making weight prior to it, but once he got into the UFC, he, he sorted his act out and was able to stay closer to fight weight, not struggle so much with the cuts. Um, I don't know how he makes weight with that gigantic head of his. I, I don't know. That, that's <laughs> just a thing that he's got, but... Um, what I don't get is him trying to make this claim that he should get an immediate title fight. I do because he left as a champion. He I don't, did. I don't he mind did. at all. He can come back however he wants. And remember, he put on two belts before he was forced to give one up. But he was yeah. not a champ. So I don't have a problem at all with him wanting to come back and take on the, the title holders. Let him. I, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say that. I, I just I just find it a little hinky because of the fact that he left so long ago, number one. And number two, the field is vastly different now. I, I don't I I just I don't know, man. Like I don't hate the idea, but I'm not exactly sure that it's a great idea because you look at the guys that are in the top five, right? Marlon Vera at number five, Corey Sanhagen number four, Miranda Washville at number three. And then of course, you know, Dillashaw's fighting for the title, he's ranked number two, and Pedregon at number one. Um, I, I don't, I, I'd like to see Henry fight any of those other guys in the top five. I think that would be super exciting too, but it's a busy, busy field right now. I mean, let's assuming that Sterling beats Dillashaw. So he's already beaten the consensus number one and number two guys, and he's not going to fight number three because that's his teammate and friend. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that really would go. I mean, it's a pretty... Again, it's it's slightly crowded, not too much, because Santa Hagen's kind of right there for fighting for the belt. Marlon a little further back. Uh, I, I can see the case against it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I wouldn't be mad if it happened. Mm-hmm. If anybody's got a right to leapfrog and do all that, it's probably going to be him. But um, not just because of the dual champ status, but the manner in which he was doing it. And uh, the fact that hopefully, maybe, and I'm just, again, I'm, I'm hanging on a hope, which I know it shouldn't because it's a very slippery grip. Um, that they market this properly and that they really maximize the value that Henry can bring. But I, I just, I can't hold my breath on that, man. I mean, come on, these people are lazy. Been over this so many times. <laughs> yes, we have for sure. All right. We are going to break down uh, a few select fights from UFC Vegas 62. But first, what I want to do is I want to remind everybody what the standings are, because we didn't pick fights last weekend. Remember, we had a, an off weekend. But I will remind everyone of the standings. Mookie is in the lead, 112-66-3. and three. I'm in second with 108-70-3. And, and Victor is fast approaching us at 99-79-3. and three. Fast approach. The year's almost over. <laughs> what is there to, to approach? Kind. I have nothing. I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> All right. So we are picking five fights from UFC Vegas. And we're going to start off with Nick Maximoff taking on Jacob Malkoon. Man, I like this fight so much. I uh, got to get your take on it, though. I I don't like it. I, don't, I mean, I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. It's what it is i guess um what how can you not like this i mean jacob malkoon is a tough sob he's got he's got power you got nick maximoff coming out of the the diaz team and he is exciting yeah no look i get that i don't hate the fight what i'm saying is this particular matchup isn't as thrilling to me because i don't really think that 
I, I don't I don't think Maximov is I'm not saying he's not good because I do think that he is. I, I don't I don't know that he's really um, that this is the kind of fight that he ought to take. You know what I'm saying? That's that's kind of where I'm having a bit of a problem with it. And Malcoon is is a um, he certainly got a bit of a, a well, he's definitely got a bright future. Uh, even though he did have, you know, he had his, his first pro loss to Phil Hawes, which was a resurging Phil Hawes, you know, two years ago. That was, that was not a bad loss. And then to Brendan Allen, who's been looking like a million bucks. Uh, I, you know, you, you can't, those are not bad losses in any way. I just don't really see that happening for Maximov right now. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what to really make of his ceiling and whether or not he's there. It seems like he is. And that's what I'm kind of worried about. Because if he is, then, you know, he's he's probably not going to – he's not long for the UFC if that's the case. And I, I, I want to be wrong about it, but it's fine. I, I mean, I'm picking Malcoon either way. I think he's a little more well-rounded. I think he's better at applying pressure. Um, I think he's probably the more dynamic athlete of the two. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Mookie is uh, taking Maximoff, as am I. I think Maximoff is dynamic and – I, I kind of agree with you in that this is a real tricky fight for him to take, but they've got to do something with him because he came in with a lot of hype. Yeah. And so you've kind of got to give him tough matchups. And man, Jacob Malkoon is about as tough as you can get. But I think Maximov can can do it. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and <laughs> listen, the hype that he the hype that he came in with was very justified. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make I don't make no mistake. Dude was you know, he, he was he was making some noise on the regionals for a very good reason. But I just, you know, like this is just such a weird man. I wish they'd probably um, give him someone that's a little bit more comparable. I don't know. I, I wish they'd slow walk him a little more. Indeed. Now, our next one is the featured prelim, and that is Mana Martinez taking on Brandon Davis. This is also a banging ass fight. Mookie is taking Mana Martinez. Victor, how are you going? See, that's see, that's that's why that's why I like that guy. He knows what he's doing mm-hmm. when he agrees with me. Uh, I I like Madam Martinez, man. I like what I've seen out of him. I like the uh, work he was putting in back when he was with LFA and and, and Fury out in Texas, uh, tearing it up on that scene. And he was fighting some pretty tough dudes too. Like he didn't really, um, he didn't really have any gimme fights, you know. Like he's just one of those dudes that came up and and. Uh, just fought people that were either on his level or above. And once he started punching above his weight, he managed to still, you know, come out on top. So I, I like his development. I like what he's got going on. Brandon Davis, another very tough customer, another pretty talented guy who also came out from the Southeast. And um, yeah, this is, this is his second stint with the UFC after not having a, a, a great, um, go of it the first time around but he had some some absolutely brutal matchups against Barzola, Magomed Sharipov, Kyungho Kang and Giga Chikadze which like good god why would you book him like that <laughs> um I, now he's taking on a, a on a, a young gunslinger like Martinez I don't like his chances I'm gonna go with Meta yep you summed it up perfectly and I'm also going with Martinez now we're getting to our last three fights, and all three of them are very, very good. We have Askar Askarov taking on Brandon Royval. What a fight. Oh. And Mookie is oh. he's taking that gamble, I think, with Brandon Royval. Hmm. How are you going? Um, I don't I don't think it's really I don't know that that's really a gamble though. I mean, Royval has shown not just development, but he's really managed to turn things around. 
you know, since the uh, losses to Moreno and Pantoja, you know, the way he rebounded against Montorin and Schnell, um, the way that he put definitive stamping on that, that with that Schnell win being by submission, the way that he was able to drop and put away Tim Elliott, the win against Kai Kara France, like, you got to remember who this cat is. I mean, he, he hit a bump in the road, but those Factory X guys, they're still chugging along. They're still doing great work, I believe, in their ability to improve guys and have them rebound in a very strong way. Um, Askarov has only had one professional loss, one loss overall in MMA, and that was against Kai Kara France in his last fight, and that was a decision. But that's what happens when you put him in there against a guy who's a lot busier. But if you look at his wins, if you look at his wins and the way that he's able to be super sneaky, to draw out the counter, to be able to cut guys off, turn corners with his wrestling and get guys on their back when he needs to. Uh, Roy Val's going to have his hands full. I, I, it is a bit dicey. I think Askarov probably should be the favorite, but I got a feeling that Roy Val's going to pull it off. And Mookie is also going with Roy Val. Once again, I want to reiterate that, but I'm mm. not. I'm going with Askar Askarov. Mm. Um, I feel like he probably learned his lesson after that Kai Kara France fight. I cannot ignore that he has beaten pretty decisively, too. These were not just regular fights. He beat the brakes off these people. Joseph Benavidez, he decisively beat Alexandre Pantoge, decisively yes. beat Tim Elliott. He yes. went to a split with Brandon Moreno, but it could be argued that he won that fight, too. Yeah. So I'm looking at that, and I'm, uh, and I'm also looking at Brandon Royval, who is... I love Brandon Royval. Everyone knows that. However, I just think that Askarov is just a tiny step above, just the tiniest one. And I think it all comes down to that wrestling. So I am going to take Askarov. I feel like they're both very tricky people to, to pick right now because they, the, this is a, a fight that was very, very well matched. So I, I'm I'm digging the shit out of it. Yes. For sure. Yes. Now we are going to get to the co-main event. This one's gonna, man, oh man, this is one I'll watch through my fingers too. Mm -hmm. It's Cub Swanson, and he is taking on um, Jonathan Martinez. I'm sorry, there's so many Martinez on this. I think there's like two or three Martinez on Martinez's on this too. Yes. So. There's a caveat here. This is taking place at 135. So Cub is making the drop down again. Because remember, Cub started out at 155. Then he dropped to 145. So now we have 38-year-old Cub Swanson making the dive down to 135 against a very tough Jonathan Martinez. Mookie is taking Martinez. And I will go ahead and put it out there. I am as well, despite being a very big fan of Cub Swanson. I'm trying to win here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I can't yet. pick him in good conscience. If it stayed at 145, I'd probably pick him, but not at 135. Nope. All right. I, I just want to mention right quick some of the just, just some quick hits on the uh, other fun stuff you can expect on the card. It is, I think, a little worth mentioning. Mike the Truth Jackson, shout out to him. He's going to be fighting Pete Rodriguez. Tatsuro Taira, if you have not seen that dude fight before, he's super exciting at flyweight. And uh, he's going to be uh, on this here against CJ Vergara, who I don't even remember seeing fight. And uh, Rafael Asunsao, Brazilian hypnotoad, taking on Victor Henry, who did damage in Japan. And uh, protege of one Josh Barnett. Um, really, really, really exciting. Go check out his fight, as uh, as Jack Slack mentioned earlier this week, against Haone Barcelos. 
really good fight and a very, very um, interesting bout. Now, as to the matter in hand with Cub Swanson, Martinez, I, I, would I love to see Cub win? Absolutely, especially if his kids are there. I'm not a fan of somebody seeing, you know, I, I don't like having people bring their kids to an event and then get their ass beat in front of God and country. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see myself get my ass beat in front of my own son. He ain't going to recover from that, and I'm not going to recover from that. He's not going to respect me. I already got to worry about having fistfights with him 10 years from now. I don't need this kind of stress on my radar, and neither does Cub or his kids. So um, I hope he has a great showing. I unfortunately would have to say the smart money is going to be with the younger gun and, uh, you know, the guy who is a little bit more accustomed to making the weight cut and and thriving in this environment. So I'm going to go with Martinez. All right. Now we get to our main event. Alexa Grasso, number five, taking on number six, Viviane Araujo. This is a tough fight to pick, but I got to yeah. go with Alexa Grasso because she got them hands. And them hands are the first things that people see. But she's been working on her grappling, too. And that's coming right along. Viviane is not going to be an easy out, though. This is going to be a very tough, probably brutal grinder. But um, I'm, I'm confident in Alexa Grasso. Mookie is also taking Alexa Grasso. So, Victor, it's all on you now. I am also taking Alexa Grasso because if you look at Viviana's losses in the UFC, okay, Jessica I, Kaylin Chukagian, people that are very capable of suffocating you with volume. I for that I win. No, no. And, and that was in 2019. Like, I was, was going through it, man. I mean, <laughs> at that point... You know, this is before she started that that um, that real crazy slide, losing to Valentina and then losing. Let me see, one, two, three, six straight after that. Um, I I don't know how that happened. Yeah, sure, she rebounded nicely with wins over Montefiore, Montana De La Rosa, but again, she stumbled against Jukagian. And what's the difference there? Again, volume and precision striking. Andrea Lee didn't quite have the volume in that fight when she took on Arojo. So it just no. If Grasso can suffocate. With her boxing, somebody like a Jion Kim and then somebody like Carolina Kovalkovich or Random Marcos, if she can do that, she can do it to Vivian. And that's kind of the end of the discussion right there. Her wrestling is probably not going to be there, and her submission game is not going to be on par with Alexis. I don't see it. So I'm going to go with Alexis. Very, very good stuff. So on that note, we are going to wrap the show. Please do me a favor. Go check out Victor's Instagram. There are so many fun pictures from Miami Carnival. And if, if you're into pink paint and really cute curls, that is Victor. Okay? Oh, you got, that's curls. too kind. I'm out here looking like a Venezuelan Spike Spiegel. You out here congratulating. That's, that's nice. I like that. I like the curls. I really do. Coming from a fellow curly top, because mine is naturally super curly too, I appreciate good curls. So... You're welcome. Yeah, curl solidarity. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I am raising my fist in solidarity to my fellow curly brother. Now, um, also follow him on Twitter. That's Vic M. Rodriguez. And just in case I forgot, because I forget from one second to the next with old age, it is Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Crooklyn MMA on Twitter. The show is Level Change Pod on Twitter. We are also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash level change podcast. But we will never force you to do it in the metaverse. 
We will never stream just so you can hear and watch images go across your your face that our lovely June has popped in of all the people we're talking about. We'll never do that to you. Well, I know. I, I mean, I you, you listen. If Kate, if 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 Nate pays me a little extra money, yeah, I, okay, right? we might. Yeah, you know, me a little shirtless, whatever. Like we could do the whole crossover with the OnlyFans is coming. I don't know, man. <laughs> Oh my God, Metaverse OnlyFans, now that's the way to go. That's right. <laughs> uh, anyways, we both work for Bloody Elbows, so check us out there. Do check out Mookie's Twitter. He is at Mookie Alexander, and he works for SB Nation's field goal site. He's the managing editor over there. So if you're a Seahawks fan, go visit Mookie over there. And definitely listen to our pre-recorded outro where Mookie will tell you where you can find this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow podcasts. So do that. And until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not the Face podcast, and radio style play by play for every UFC pay per view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>